Hey y'all, dropping in just to say the audio on the first five minutes of this episode are a little wonky. Fret not, we caught on to it quick, fixed it, and pressed on. So, let's do it. I was awake, dreaming about sleeping. My mistakes, and now I keep them. So close to me! Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? Oh, you know, uh, once again, trying to survive. It's um, Times are getting weird here. The walls are closing in. but uh, It's getting a little strange, isn't it? It's starting to creep in. I mean, it's nice out now, and so it's really pretty obvious that we're stuck inside. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we took the dogs out on Sunday. And we were outside for like half an hour, and I realized that that was the longest we'd been outside for at least a month. That's wild, man. So, hey, want to thank all y'all for joining us this week. I invite you all to leave us five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, all that shit. Thank you. This podcast has been receiving... A lot of wonderful feedback, Brendan. You hearing good things? Uh, I have been hearing good things. People are people are very kind, and um, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and thanks for uh, letting us know that you think it's cool because that really goes a long way towards us wanting to do this more and well. So definitely so, definitely so. As long as it's for uh, more than like you know one hundred goons, then we're we're happy over here. Um, so we got a fun one for you all this week. We combed through some of your emails. Thank you for all those. That's brendankellypodcast at gmail.com. That came out so effortlessly this week. Uh, it was nice hearing from Alia. I did read all of them. If I didn't get back to you, do know that I did read them. And that line is open if you all ever want to reach out. You got questions, things we might have missed the week before. Um, yeah. So... We got some good questions to go through this week, uh, but first, we're going to be covering the band's, well, the Lawrence Arms' first and only EP, Butt Sweat and Tears, 2009. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Brendan, would you mind telling us there's a great story to the title of this release? Would you mind telling us that yeah. story? Um. When we first were a band, we first started playing shows just around Illinois, I guess in the Midwest in general, um, because our first shows were in Wisconsin. So we were, you know, we were, we were all over the Midwest right away. We were tri-state, tri-state local, but, uh, (laughs) you know, um, we, (laughs) we were riding around and we like the three of us have always been really into wordplay and stuff like that and i mean that sort of shines through i think like in our music and stuff like that and and nowhere more than just like when we're sitting around in the van goofing off and um somebody said something about uh you know like you know we're really putting a lot of blood sweat and tears into this and then someone went butt sweat and tears and then we all started laughing our asses off and um and we couldn't stop thinking about it and then neil was like man we or that we all kind of, I can't remember who, who said it, but it was like, man, when we, when we put out a seven inch, we got to call it butt, sweat and tears. That would be great. And then we figured out that, and this is a joke that not a lot of people get and that we actually like, 
that it should be two clear, like two glasses of clear liquid on the cover. One is butt sweat and one is tears, right? <laughs> and, uh, and and so we were, we thought that this was really funny, and uh, we laughed about it forever. And then, you know, our career went on like ten years, and we'd never put out a seven inch. And when it was coming up time for our ten year anniversary, we hadn't put out anything since Calcutta, and we decided to write a few songs. And um, when it was going to come out, we we're like, oh, there's going to be like a four song, seven inch, five song EP. And Neil was like. We got to call it Butt, Sweat, and Tears, dude. We said our first seven inch would be called Butt, Sweat, and Tears. <laughs> and, uh, and we all just thought that that was genius of him to, uh, to recognize. And, uh, you know, so that, that's what we did with the two glasses of clear liquid. We called up Ben Peer, the wonderful photographer, and we were like, this is what we want the cover to be. Just two, two glasses of clear liquid. One's Butt, Sweat, and one's Tears. And he... Nailed it. He made it so artful that like the joke is like really lost in it. You know, it just kind of looks like cocktail hour on a Manhattan rooftop at sunset. But <laughs> the the truth is, it's a very very puerile joke. And uh, I remember one of the reviews of this record. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a necessarily a review. It was like the Lawrence Arms have put out a new EP. It's their first release, and you know four years it's been saddled with the name butt sweat and tears <laughs> so this poor ep that's just at the behest of its creators mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly it, this is kind of a fun release for us to talk about because you know up until in the past four episodes we've only really gone up to greatest story and we kind of stopped with just fat didn't like it we'll kind of unpack that a little bit more when we talk about oh calcutta which is the proper context mr four-star reviewer i read those we're gonna get to that stuff just give me time um but oh calcutta like really breaks everything open for the lawrence arms would that be an accurate statement yeah um we definitely became a completely different kind of band after O'Calcutta that before in terms of perception. I mean, in terms of us being us, it was the same, but, um, that record is really the reason I think that like greatest story and apathy get sort of the, the respect that they do. If we hadn't put out O'Calcutta, those records would be like marginalized and probably forgotten by now. I think, um, it's just uh it was just a very different kind of record and it like it completely changed the game in terms of like where we were and like what uh like our our place in like the sort of like little pantheon of this corner of punk rock or whatever and um you know those records like made it so we had like a nice dedicated little fan base and like people had heard of our band and then we put out that record and people were like oh this is what it's all about i see and then they could go back and listen to those records and, you know, hear them with the ears of like, oh, I don't have to wonder if this is good. You, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, there's, I don't know. I don't want to get it too much into like pop psychology or anything like that. But, you know, like you maybe you hear something and you like it. And then all of a sudden you realize that everybody else thinks it sucks. And you're like, oh, I must have been wrong about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And with like something as like esoteric as greatest story ever told you know like i think it's very easy to be like i don't know if this is cool or not 
You know, it was definitely not like what was going on at the time. But with O'Calcutta to vouch for it, it kind of like gave it a little bit of more credibility than I think it had otherwise. Definitely. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that, you know, my perspective being from Chicago, it's a little bit different because I've known about your band for so long and, you know, I was following and then Oh Calcutta hits and I think that was the first time that I saw an outside of Chicago perspective uh, of just a real shift in people just being like, yeah, not only is this record good, but this band has been really good for a long time. What did that shift feel like for for you all? Were you, were you able to kind of like bask in that glow? Well, no, because I mean, we put that record out and stopped touring, you know, and then like we didn't really do anything until we put out this EP. So like, uh, you know, we we put out the record, we toured on it, and it was kind of like right around the time that people started really catching on. We uh. We stopped. We did. We did like the one last tour, where it was the Lawrence Arms, the Falcon, and uh, Sundowner, and American Steel. And then beyond that, it was we were we were done for a while. That's when I started doing my blog and stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. like you know, and had a kid, and there was just a few years of like relative inactivity there. That was when we were audited. Oh, that's when the audit happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did like, I mean, it's, you got these two things, these very enormous things going on where you have, you have a kid, you have an audit that just. No, actually I'm wrong okay. because the audit happened when, when I, when I first got my first thing in the mail from the audit, I was holding my daughter and she wasn't born until 2010. Okay. So it had to have been after that. So I'm, I'm getting my timeline wrong, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, anyway, <laughs> regardless. Right. That's interesting. I I feel like um yeah, that uh that shift definitely happens at the at that time right after that Falcon Lawrence Arms Sundowner tour and then it's like Bad Sandwich Chronicles starts maybe that summer when uh when your son's born. Yeah, and and we were he, well yeah, he was born in April and it was like right around there and we kept playing shows but it was very minimal. I mean, couple shows here and there. Um, and then, you know, my kids are about two years apart. Yeah, and it was like kind of right after my daughter was born. They audited us based on the last tour we did, the Lawrence Arms Falcon Sundowner American Steel tour because that tour was the first, like, really successful tour we'd ever done in terms of, like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people coming, a lot of money and stuff like that. So on paper it was like, up with his business <laughs> went from making no money sure. to making money even though like we spent all our money on like a bus and like stuff like that so it wasn't like we saw any of the spoils of that war but um yeah but that's that's sort of what happened we and yeah but in that time i guess we must have put this out um I guess I'm in, I've, I was interested looking at that particular tour, though, in the fact that you have Lawrence Arms Falcon and Sundowner. That's, uh, you're getting quite a return on that, aren't you? Well, I mean, kind of, you know. Um, and then Chris played in the Falcon, Neil played in Sundowner, Eli Caterer played in both Falcon and mm-hmm. Sundowner. 
Um, so it was a real, we called it the Taco Bell tour because it was the same like shitty few ingredients combined in a different way to make something ostensibly different, <laughs> you know, um, which I think is pretty funny. Um, but uh, it was, uh, again, like based on the fact that we were going to all be playing like multiple shows, um, you know, we got we got a bus and we shared it with American Steel and it was just like, I mean, it was a good tour, but wasn't quite like in the good in the good cities it did very very well mm-hmm. but then we still sort of foolishly routed it through texas and stuff like that where like we didn't have any real fans and you know all of a sudden we're playing we've got this this bus which was there to like alleviate the sort of taxing physicality of having so many performances a night for everybody and then there's 40 people at the show and we're like, Ugh. so it becomes a mental burden and a financial burden as well. Like, I think everybody walked away from that tour being like, this is all the money I made. What the fuck? You know? Um, but what can you do? Um, it was, it was a lot of fun and, uh, it was really awesome crew and everything, but yeah, it wasn't as financially successful as it should have been. We kind of made a lot of changes after that, um, in terms of how we approach touring, um, and how to like maximize the money and the fun without going back to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I love you, Texas. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is pretty clear to me, and just the scope of the way pop punk kind of changes over the next four or five years is the influence of your band D Four against me. It is so abundantly clear and just all of the pop punk that comes out in the next couple years you know by the time you're doing this release show in 2009 you got bands like uh like banner pilot and and off with their heads and uh not not a knock on those bands in any in any sense but it's like i think the 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 clear path was through you all and you also have um amongst those bands Bands like the Psychics and the Menzingers, who are coming out on Red Scare. Yeah, how is it? How is it being in the uh, position of having the the new crop of kids coming in who have probably been there since day one? Well, I think that a more accurate way to put it would be that like the world turned and we just happened to be on that road already. You know, like I, I don't know that I could say. You know, I mean, against me, Dylan Jafour and Lawrence Arms at that time were all fairly popular bands, but nobody was like changing the fucking world just with like that, that the popularity. You know, I mean, there just weren't enough ears for like the entire like focus of pop punk to, to shift based on like just a few bands that like, I mean, against me is a very popular band now, but there's, you know, this is a very different time. And I mean, like, you know, maybe now, if today you said that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe that. But at the time, I think the world was just ready for something else. And when and when it was looking for it and it found it slowly, we had already been doing it for a while. You know, um, I don't know how much I would take credit for, like, influencing any of these bands. But I mean, like. In terms of being able to, like, mentor these, like, 
up and coming bands with Red Scare. That was really, really exciting and fun, and it it still remains really exciting and fun to like to see these bands do this stuff that I'm like, oh, I could never do that in a million years. Whether it's like yeah. play to like crowds of that size or write songs of that nature, it's just like it's it's cool and and uh, that's really fun. And it's you know, I mean. It, We've talked a lot about like getting less than no respect uh, uh-huh. <laughs> in this band on this podcast. It's it's nice to like at a certain point be um, at least recognized for having been around for a while, you know, if not having been like um, sort of an early adopter of something that would become popular and influential and part of like the cultural fabric right for sure for sure it's like uh it's like ringo star we didn't we didn't think we were changing the world we just thought we were writing tunes (laughs) that's right and i mean in our case we same thing but we actually didn't change the world also so (laughs) 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 um so butt sweat and tears officially was released on october 27 2009 a couple days after the 10th anniversary show uh recorded in we're not sure what month of 2009 i'm not going to shame you for the use of a word that we should know better than to use in the liner notes oh Uh, i I don't i don't even know (laughs) what it is i haven't looked at it but um it's okay uh I just listened to Blink-182 this morning. It's all okay. It's all okay. Um, I guess going in, you're making you're making an EP after coming off of some too heavy concept records or conceptual records. Yes. How does it differ making something that is four songs, five if you count the digital? Yeah, I think... I mean, I think the one thing that, like, shines through on this is that, like, these were, like, five songs that were all intended to be, like, potentially, like, standalone tracks. Like, every single one of them has got a lot of, like, bombast in their own way. Mm. And I think it's, like, the first time that we, as a band, experimented with having, like, a little bit of swagger and knowing people were listening. And, um, you know, uh, and I don't think that we felt the need... To, like, tie everything together, we'd sort of, you know, I've said this before, but it's, like, we had done the sort of back into it, very conceptual storytelling record. And then when we talk about Calcutta, we can talk about how that's actually a much more conceptual record in Mm. its inception, but uh, it sounds more simple. And, I mean, we definitely simplified things to great... um, effect for what we were looking to do um when we did that record and so by the time we came to this record it was like let's just make some songs you know and we had the um i think we had the confidence to write the kinds of songs that we thought would be like bombastic and big and we didn't feel the need to tie them together with some sort of overarching concept i mean the record's called butt sweat and tears there is a certain amount of playfulness that goes along with that and like lack of taking yourself too seriously which Uh. which like is 
we've never taken ourselves very seriously, but I think that there was for a second a misconception that we did. You know, like a lot of those jokes are such like in jokes. I mean, as we've discussed a lot on this, that, you know, I think people started being like, oh, you know, these, you know, in their lab down there, you know, concocting these, these songs. Uh And we're like, no, no, butt sweat and tears. You know, (laughs) so. (laughs) Do you think the Falcon and Sundowner were helpful exercises in in songwriting for you to maybe like loosen things up a little bit like write something that's not attached to a name that sort of carries its own weight um well i can only really speak for myself but for me the falcon was like integral to me being able to ever like do the lawrence arms again i was like kind of paralyzed um, after Oh Calcutta, because I thought, I was like, man, this record turned out very, very well. I don't know how to fucking do anything after this. You know, I'm not ready to write another Lawrence Arms record. It's not going to be up to my standards now, but I could write a Falcon record and it didn't have to be up to any standards, you know? And then I could yeah. just be like, and part of it'll be ska and part of it'll be hardcore and part of it'll be like blues, you know? And like, and just like do whatever I wanted. And then it's like sort of like, oh, you can do whatever you want. And that really freed me up in order to be able to continue to write and do stuff like, well, like, I guess what's here, you know? Um, I can't really speak to like what Chris was, um, got out of sundown or beyond like getting to like explore those songs, which is probably awesome enough. But I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know in terms of like a catharsis or evaluation, evaluative step in the process. I'm not, I don't know. For sure, for sure. I, I like what you what you had to say there about the Falcon record. I can't wait until we uh, talk about those records. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, we got uh we got a front cover by Ben Pierce, a uh, back photo by Hiro Tanaka. I I forgot to give both of them credit. They got uh greatest story photos on the insert. How do you know? Uh, how do you know each of them? Um, Ben is from St. Louis and, um, he's been hanging out with us forever. I mean, we stayed at his house one time, I believe, or if we didn't stay at his house, we like went to breakfast with him like a long, long, long time ago. Um, and he started out just kind of taking pictures of bands. He took a lot of pictures of us when he was, uh, young. And then all of a sudden he's just been taking pictures with us of us, I guess, and, many other things forever and now he like shoots huge projects like he'll shoot like the phone that's inside every bus shelter you know in mm. every city like the motorola or whatever i, I don't know you know yeah, or yeah. like the covers of like fashion magazines you know he's so now he's like this really really accomplished photographer and like some of his earliest work was <laughs> taking pictures of our fucking stupid asses <laughs> which is great but i mean Ben's a great dude, and um, you know he's uh, he's he's just been around forever, like in our camp. Hero, um, <laughs> Hero Tanaka is one of the greatest people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, he's uh, he's from Tokyo, and uh, when we first met him, he was traveling with a band called the Selby Tigers from Minneapolis, and. Um, 
he was like fresh in America and didn't really speak a ton of English, but he was like infatuated with American slang. And Mm -hmm. whenever he'd say something that was sort of syntactically um, bizarre, he would have you write it in a little book. Um, And I have the book somewhere. It's not here, but um, he, he eventually published it last year. Um, but he had these notebooks just full of slang. And so the results were he didn't speak like great proper English, but he had like this like superhuman mastery of slang. So uh-huh. you could talk to him and he'd be like, yo, super electric lips and assholes, dude. And that means like, that's a great hot dog, <laughs> you know? And, and like, it, it was, it's just like, and he, so he's just like the greatest dude. And like everybody that meets hero, um, wants to hang around with hero all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's also a really accomplished photographer in his own right. And he's like, has like art shows all over the, the world and stuff like that. And art books. So yeah, those are two dudes we're very lucky to know and have on our team. That's awesome. Hero's done a lot of Jeff Rosenstock's photography in the last few years. Uh, he's a good Instagram follow. He takes gross pictures of food. Oh yeah. Everyone give him a follow. It's at Hero Tanaka seven five four five. Instagram's great. Uh, Brennan follows me on there. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing as Twitter. I'm not sure what the uh, anyway. Uh, <sighs> But the the liner notes, I love I love how celebratory it all feels. You go out of your way to thank so many people. Like this whole ten year thing is totally integrated into this project. Yeah, I mean this the ten year anniversary was the impetus, I think, to like get get the band back together as the old saying goes, you know, um and the idea was that we'd make this record. Neil's brilliant idea was that we would call it Butt, Sweat, and Tears. Um, And we'd have this, like, big, bombastic celebration of being a band. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's... The way the timeline works in this band is so funny because we have been a band for so long. And it's tempting to think of, like, you know, like, things like... It's like, oh, you know, Chicago institutions, the Lawrence Arms, like, uh, the... The War on Christmas. And it's like, those, there's been five of those. You know, <laughs> you know like, like there's 15 years when we didn't have any of those. You, you, you know, like, and, but it just doesn't seem like that. And, and so, like, you know, this 10 year celebration was something where, like, I think it was like a great public relations maneuver in that it really, highlighted that we'd been a band for a long time and a lot of people that had just jumped on board were like oh this has been a band that's been very popular for a very long time Uh you know and it wasn't like oh this fucking flash in the pan band that just finally put out a good record (laughs) (laughs) you know uh the optics are totally there right it's like it's like 10 years oh man and they're they sold out the metro and they got a seven inch to commemorate it but yeah it's it it is true like i saw i so i saw the lawrence arms at illinois wesleyan in march of 06 it had to have been like the week of o calcutta the only timestamp that i remember is that you may you talked about pete wentz's 
dick pics had leaked onto the internet, and you were having a ball with that topic in between songs. Well, I mean, how can you not? Beautiful penis. Beautiful, beautiful penis. Um, It was funny, though, because I feel like that show was really the last of of a time of seeing your band because everything after that, I remember I saw you at the house of blues in 07 with uh, the bouncing souls. And it was an early riot fest gig. And that place was fucking pumped for the Lawrence arms. And I was like, damn, this is a, this is a thing. But I mean, that's only two years away from this anniversary show. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, yeah, the, like you said, the optics were, (laughs) really dialed in for this and uh you know this show sort of was the thing that would uh enable us to sort of do whatever we wanted really i mean like the whole the whole thing i mean to say it was not planned this way is an understatement but Uh (laughs) the the way that it all came together and then you know we had this show and we ended up um, you know, and people came from everywhere. I mean, there's kids from Japan there, you know, like, I mean, you always see a few Euros and, you know, Canadians and stuff like that, South Americans in these, like, sort of, like, fest situations, right? Uh-huh. And, but there's people from Australia, there's people from Japan, and it was like, and I was all of a sudden like, that was the, I think the, um, that was the, like, the combustion engine that, got us started on the idea of war on christmas it was like wow if people will really come from like all over the place to see us play in chicago that's like mm-hmm. that's amazing i mean and, and it was like the sense of like sort of community and fun and everybody was just there to see our band and it was like people from all over the world i don't know i mean i'm hardly saying anything that's unique to us but it felt unique to me because I was in the middle of it, you know? Right, and, uh, right. And, uh, and like, so that happened, then we filmed it, and it was this, like, sort of, like, more international kind of event, and then that came out on Fat, and it was, like, and then next thing you know, you know, we don't put out a record for seven years, but people wait patiently because the last sort of thing we put out was this, like, mm-hmm. huge celebration that, like, where the vibes are so good. I wasn't thinking about this when I was uh, writing the episode today, but like, I I feel like the original Bad Sandwich Chronicles like really helped to kind of create that community. Would you Would you agree with that? There was um, definitely a community that formed it within like the orbit of Bad Sandwich Chronicles. That was uh, which is my blog, I guess. If people don't know. Um, Badsandwich.substack.com. That's Everybody right. Everybody can get in on it now. Yeah, and it was a, uh, it was um, it started out like I guess with people commenting in the comment section, and it went on to like become like a real like community, like where people had like sort of like weird bootleg T-shirts and like merch mm-hmm. um, about the blog, and then like a, some people have like met and gotten married and had children. Based on like based on the sock drawer, I think yes. that was the name of the message board, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, based on having you know sort of uh, been, I just you know having been in the same place on the internet at the same time and having like so, that sense of community, I think um, 
I don't know how much that had to do with anything except for that, like when those people came out to like that 10 year show, there was like this sense of like this big community from all over the place and a presence just like in the bar next door to the Metro, the G man and mm-hmm. like in the Metro itself, there was like this like sort of sense of like a sort of a very much friendlier, like, Turbo Yugend or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. BadSandwichChronicles.blogspot.com. It's still there in its mustard yellow glory. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been actually going back to it a lot lately because it's a lot better than looking at the fucking news. It's been nice. <laughs> So let's get in. Let's get into this EP. We start off with spit shining shit. I love the way this. To me, this song it's like it kind of picks up where like a record player left off. Was that uh, was that conscious? No, it wasn't conscious. But I mean, I could tell you that when I was going to this, I believe this was the first song I wrote for this, um, and I was trying to get inspiration where I could and what I thought was the coolest part in the world was the um the breakdown in the song Old Friend by uh Rancid, right? On Out oh, from the yeah. Wolves. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, what is it? Somewhere in America dun, 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 <laughs> the city at night. Yep. We were far from home. And so I started the song out like with that same sort of like um chord progression. So it was kinda I can't. I can't do it. I can't sing it and not and, and right, like right. do the guitar with my mouth at the same time. But and I had it like that, and then I realized that if I just kept it to two chords when it was before it kicked in, then when it kicked in, it would be much more bombastic when it went to the four chords. And so, um, so that's that's the the big secret at the beginning of that song, but. I like the idea of it starting where like a record player left off. Is uh what's your favorite Rancid record? Out come the wolves. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um man, I heard that shit when I was nine years old. It was like just uh just close enough to Green Day <laughs> to where like it, it came in to my uh purview and I was like, fuck this that record. Nineteen songs. Holy shit. Not a, it's not a bad track. Um so uh, this this song though, like I love the way it fucking flows from part to part. The way like, cause I'm so tired of waiting for, uh, this shit to shine. Just like drops back into the, the second verse. Like I don't know, this song is just like it's so much fun, and it is in that like celebratory mode. Yeah, it's got that one part in the beginning that like fuck this, I'm out of bullshit to cry about, which is very strange actually. Like. Timing wise, it's um, it's about as weird as like I get in terms of my like songwriting uh, situation. But it it sounds fairly normal. But it was just like I remember with this song, I kept <laughs> writing it and I build the next part, and I'd be like, okay, here's the chorus. No, this isn't quite a chorus. Okay, so I have to build it bigger for this part. No, this isn't quite a chorus either. Uh-huh. <laughs> like finally, I got to like the why, why, why thing, and I was like, okay, I think that's a chorus. But you know, you, we talked about this last week. Um, 
that is a chorus that I was like, is this too easy? Like, mm-hmm. am, am I like, am I just like really pandering at this point? Because I mean, that was also a concern for the first time because like people were listening to us and I knew it, you know? So, um, that, that for the first time was, was sort of something that I was concerned with. But when I listened to the rest of the song, I was like, yeah, whatever. That's, I, I like the vibe of it. Yeah, definitely. It it doesn't feel like too much of a reach to kind of take some of the sentiments that are in this song and feel like they're about what you're doing with the band, basically, like putting some life back into it. Is that fair to say? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think think a lot of this song is reflective of the period of time after O'Calcutta where... I just sort of like sat around and, you know, with my kid and then like the few chances I had, I went and drank and I was having a hard time, like just really struggling with like, where's my identity? I was like working at the Metro loading things and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people would be like, oh man, you're that dude from that band. We used to open for you and now you're carrying my gear, you know, stuff like that. And like, Fuck. yeah. And it, so, you know, I think the idea of like, why did I even try was like pretty pervasive. And then the end of the song when it's like the sort of like the, the button hook at the end where, you know, uh, I think was sort of me telling myself like to get on it and write a good record here, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you told a story on bad sandwich that, well, you kind of alluded to it, but I, if you wouldn't mind, um, you said that you had a that Robert Pollard yelled at you one time when you were loading stuff up. No, nah, it wasn't Robert Pollard. It was a guitar player, and I don't remember his name. But it uh, might it have was, been Tobin. Oh my God! I don't know. They're, they've had so many members. I don't know, but it was New Year's Eve, and um, they had just finished, and it was their last show ever, which it didn't mm-hmm. end up being. And um, I came up, and I was like. All right, great show, guys. I'm like, if you just uh, pack up your stuff, um, we'll get it downstairs, right? And then that that's it. The guy's like, yeah, my guitar's right there. I'm like, totally. And just pack it up, and I'll carry it down the stairs. Like, I'm not touching your fucking guitar. I'm not going to put it in the box. Like, yeah. not because I'm too good for it, but, like, I'm not going to take, like, some drunk old man's guitar and assume I know how to like fold up his cables or how to put it in a box. You know, it's just that, that is not, I'm not your roadie. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. what you like. I'm definitely not going to fuck with your expensive instruments, you know? And, um, and he was like, I don't like your fucking tone. And I was just like, Hey man, listen, I, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to help, you know, like whatever. And, like his girlfriend comes over and is like, you know, he's having an emotional time, you know, whatever. And I was like, you know, it's their last show. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. I get it. You know, I totally got it. And so I'm like, I'm going to give you guys a second. So I walk off the stage, I come back and somebody's packed up his guitars and I've got like one of them under my arm, one of them in each hand. Right. And I'm starting to carry him downstairs. He's like, Hey, you know what? Fuck you. I don't like you. You know? 
And I was like, what? And he's like, you're talking shit to me before. And I was like, uh, and he's like, you know what? Fucking drop my shit. You're fired. And I was like, fine, motherfucker. And I dropped it all. Just like clattered onto the stage. And I was like, I was like, peace. And, uh, you know, I, I walked off the stage and I walked right into the production office and my boss, Lance was there. And I was like, dude, this is what just happened. I understand if you want me to go home. And he's like, Here's a bottle of champagne. Go sit in the crew room. Because <laughs> it was New Year's Eve, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was like, he's like, believe me, this has been a complete pain in the ass. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. They recorded so, that yeah. show. I watched it. It looked like it would be a pain in the ass. Yeah, it was kind of a nightmare. But, you know, everybody there had fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, the slowest drink at the saddest bar. On the snowiest day in the greatest city. Uh, this is your most played song on Spotify, which is wild. Yes. It felt like it really quickly became a canonical track. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song, for one thing. I mean, um, <laughs> I remember one thing that's kind of funny. I don't know if Chris will remember this the same way, but the way I remember it was <laughs> we did this record and we like handed in like or like liner notes or whatever. And we were looking at a wall and he had this like fucking long ass song title. And he was like, Oh, so your song titles are real short, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like kind of, kind of like, I thought we were still doing the long song titles thing. And, uh, <laughs> I, again, I don't know if he remembers it the same way, but, uh, that's definitely the last long song title of any of ours. Yeah. Sort of, sort of um, an inverse of the, uh, the greatest story, but just with song, uh, lengths not titles <laughs> yeah yeah but he uh I, he, he, knocked, he knocked it out of the park with this one this is this is a, a big a big one um it's a very fun song to play live it's i mean it's kind of similar to the way you describe spit shining shit where it's like that chorus is there and then it feels like he adds in another another one of the uh repetitions to kind of just like make sure that it's like understood that that's the chorus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This one uh I don't know. I see I see this song as like really classic build build build. Like it's just like the verse is great mm-hmm. and the pre-chorus is awesome and then boom into the chorus and it's just like off to the races and then you know, he does like a ripping like Brett Gerowitz style guitar solo. Does Dude, the whole thing so again. It's so good, then, yeah. And then we break into like that crazy like, well, the bridge, which is pretty soaring, and then like the fucking weird like kind of almost ska outro. It's kind of weird. Yeah, you know? I love that outro. It's so funny. Um, if you had to take a stab, what bar is he talking about? I don't know, man. Um, I feel like I really don't know. I, I, um, at this point, I don't remember how much we were like going out and drinking together, but I do know that I think he had some spots that he went more solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't necessarily know where those are. 
but I mean, it very much could have been the Allen Allen. It could have been Ginger Man. But I don't feel like it is. I I almost would say it's more like I always picture the North Side, but I think that's because I worked there for a time period. I mean, it doesn't fit the description mm-hmm. in the song at all. But I think that's just me conflating like what I was doing with what he was doing for sure uh them angels been talking this intro it's like you took that champagne bottle from the production room (laughs) at the metro and it's all in slow motion at the beginning of this song you know um so this intro originally had vocals over it Mm. and um i can't remember what they were i can't even remember how it sounded but i sang it and when we were in the mix I just remember being like, can we just take those vocals off the front? Like, can we just hear what it would sound like if it was instrumental? And like, in hindsight, it's like, why in the fucking world would we put vocals on the front of that? I mean, it was just, you know, Mm -hmm. it was my like uh, songwriting gaffe, but like at least we caught it in time, you know, because I mean, I feel like the way this song starts is, like you said, it's like so triumphant. And confetti it, it definitely would have been uh it definitely would have been terrible if it had the vocals i don't think it would have been terrible but uh we got we got a we got, is this a high uh high life reference we got here yes yes hell yeah the champagne of beers that's correct yes um this was a this was a period of time where Miller High Life was definitely extraordinarily popular. And I also just thought that, I mean, it's a pretty obvious metaphor. It's a metaphor as the title, or as the name of the beer, rather. Uh, so, so now I'm like making, breaking too many poetic boundaries. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I thought, that, I thought that it was just appropriate all the way around. Do you want to hear the story of uh, the time that I met the Miller High Life guy? Sure. He uh, he was doing a tour of uh, college campuses, I guess. And me, I was living in a college town, though not going to college anymore. And mm-hmm. uh, I was working, and we we heard that the High Life guy was coming, and he was coming to Budget Liquors, which was our liquor store. He was going to be there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So me and my roommates went to Budget Liquors at Quarter Till. We bought Tall Boys of High Life and drank them in paper bags in front of the liquor store and then he shows up and he's like what's up fellas and he was just straight up the miller high life guy the moment he got (laughs) off the bus and he took pictures with us and then he signed uh he signed things you know uh what what do you call those pictures um Uh, and press uh, photos yeah headshots yes and my friend dan when he had, when he was gonna get his signed, he said, uh, "Could you write like don't ever change on mine?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, of course." And then he looks at me and he's like, "What would you like me to write on yours?" And I said, uh, "Follow your dreams." And he <laughs> said, "He said, and what's your dream?" And I said, "To have a family." <laughs> <laughs> And he just said, all right, Bubba. And uh, yeah, we tried to get him to come to a party at our house later that night, but it it didn't happen. Turns out, huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> My uh, life guy can't be around when people like fall off the porch because they're too drunk, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He we became Facebook friends though. Facebook is like uh it's a lot like Twitter. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, anyway, uh, he accepted my friend request. That's nice of him. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, like, what's the story with the song? There are moments that feel like they're pulled from real life. There's others that maybe just works of imagination. Um, I think the song was sort of, like, supposed to be, like, a in a weird way, like an expose of like sort of like fest culture that um, sort of incorporated both the good and bad sides of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there, There's like definitely. I'm trying to think of what the second verse is or even if there is one. Um there's a lot but, of verses in this song. Yeah, there's there's a lot of words in this song. But, like, the first verse is definitely, like, I don't know. I heard a story about, like, somebody passed out and people putting their dick in his mouth and taking pictures and stuff and, like, mm-hmm. thinking that was funny. And, like, I was like, that is not funny at all. Like, that's sexual assault, like, in a fucking major way. That's mm-hmm. really, really very bad. And so that was, like, sort of, like one half of it and then the other half of it was like um just the idea of like being able to like have this like sort of community that congregated at these weird shows and like see your friends that you don't see very often and like you know like you're like-minded individuals that are good people you know Um, totally totally i think i think the that's like the sort of like the elevator pitch on this one Mm -hmm. i was i was gonna talk about it like Uh, that the line uh, number fifteen and Anthony, when will I see you again? W- what's that uh, referring to? Uh, it's um, I was just two people that I would see a lot. My friend Jenny, who uh, she tour managed a lot of bands. Actually, she was tour managing. Um, uh, she did off at their heads for a while. She did um, um, Ladderman. Mm. Um, she's got she's got some real cred. And she's a she's a she's just a dear old friend and um and then Anthony is this dude Anthony Bozzi who's just been to so many of our shows for so many years and uh, you know sort of in in different iterations just people that have been very kind to us um, you know it's not a I'm not singling the two of them out as specific individuals so much is that they're very representative of like sort of the culture that i appreciate totally totally kind of like uh like down periscope and hot shots part two but <laughs> yeah, real but, life but, people. but said with affection yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh demons wasn't on the seven inch proper but uh part of the digital release is this based on a true story kind of uh but it wasn't me it was a uh, it was Sean Nader, um, uh-huh. and he basically the story is him and his friend Jimmy were at somebody's wedding I can't remember who, and they Sean doesn't drink anymore so I feel like uh, that's important to mention because well because when he did drink 
uh, he would do things like they left the wedding early to go to the reception. And by the time everybody else got to the reception, they were both like wasted when they, they were shirtless <laughs> and they were like loud and um, kind of picking fights and picked a fight with like the bride's dad or something like that, like almost immediately Perfect. as you probably have to when you're shirtless at the wedding reception and he shows up. You got to figure he's like, hey, what's going on here, fellas? And your only move at that point is pretty much to be like, yo, go fuck yourself, old man. I mean, I assume. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, at least that's the way I remember the story. And then, the yeah, they had to get kicked out. But um, but it is also something that I could see having happened to me. I don't want to, like, make it be like, oh, this is pure me drawing on a character over here you know sean was like mm -hmm. my best drinking buddy so like i mean i personified it as myself um i, I don't want to like i don't know throw him under the bus in terms of like his behavior or anything like that because like we were we were all living it up at that time yeah i feel like uh being being a sober person myself like shit like that is embarrassing and then it's just like ah oh, yeah that time that <laughs> That one out of many, many times. Yes, exactly. I'm sure he appreciated it. Uh, the Redness in the West title is uh, subtitled to Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. What a fucking book that is. It is. And I mean, you know, the subtitle of Blood Meridian is The Redness in the West. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, but, oh, because I, we, never mind. I, I misunderstood what you were saying. <laughs> Last week, last week you like called me out for not uh, mentioning the uh, the word exercise that you did on porno and snuff films, and then I listened back and I was like, I said it. Oh I said yeah, it in the beginning. you know, but that, like I listened to that too, and because you say I love that you start out with the word exercise. I should have I should have explained a little bit more. And, and I thought you I thought you were saying that I like the first word was exercise. This is very fascinating, by the way. You should go back and listen to that three hour podcast so you can see this point where Tim and I misunderstand one another. Uh, it's really fascinating. Just show the tape. Show the tape. All right, slow it down. Slow it down. I'm gonna do Madden on the board here. So Blood Meridian is the title of a Cormac McCarthy novel. The subtitle is The Redness in the West. And look what we have here, the title of this Lawrence Arm song, The Redness in the West. Yes, correct, yeah. So is that a Cormac McCarthy reference? <laughs> it sure is, yeah. It uh it absolutely is. It's uh um it's just kind of like a like a dusty uh sort of person trapped in a world of nihilism right um like mm -hmm. i feel like there is like sort of like a lot of country like i don't want to say like cowboy in terms of like because when you think of cowboys now you think of like fucking bud light and you know ram <laughs> yeah dodge sure. rams and shit like that but like i'm thinking it's talking more like real cowboys that kind of were like loners on the plains kind of mm -hmm. you know or just sort of very isolated weirdos in general and i feel like there's a lot of imagery there that was conjured from that which was probably in no small part based on the fact that i had read uh blood meridian not too long before i remember bad sandwich chronicles you see it seemed like you were on a cormac mccarthy 
kick during that time. You talked a lot about the road, Blood Meridian. Like he's he's a fucking powerhouse of a writer. Yeah, he is. Um, there is a thing on, I believe it's on McSweeney's, but it's uh, Cormac McCarthy um, re- rewrites the Chili's menu. And- <laughs> And I don't know who actually did it because it's credited as being by Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And it's seriously one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. If you are a Cormac, I think if you don't know Cormac McCarthy, you'd read it and be like, what the fuck is this? This is the dumbest thing I've ever read. But if, if you do, it's really amazing. So That rules. Highly recommended. I remember reading Blood Meridian and just like not comprehending anything even though the language is so simple it's just like everything is full of meaning and it's just Mm -hmm. like man i don't know how to read well it is like uh it's um it's like being on mushrooms or something to read that book you know but not in a fun way because the book (laughs) is so dark and and uh you know one of my favorite characters um in all of uh Cinema, Eli Cash, based on like a young Cormac McCarthy uh, acolyte, uh, which I think is pretty pretty terrific. Wildcat. Wow. I'm gonna go. Um, <laughs> I gotta I, shout out to my friend Corey. I know that I I can text him at any point in our friendship and just say I know you asshole, and he'll know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I like this song, though, because I think that when we talked about Heaven Help Me, like, man, this is the, this is the follow-up to Heaven Help Me, in my opinion, because you're, you're really, like, creating a world here. Yeah, well, th- this one is, uh, yeah, I can, like, see the universe that this one is in, um, I think, it's, I don't know how to, how to, like, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, brick-and-mortar imagery going on in here. You know, it's a lot of uh, talking about, you know, singing and bottles of booze and, you know, hating someplace and trying to just get out, right? But mm-hmm. it's obscure enough, I think, that it could be any place. You know, you could be talking about, like, a tiny little town. You could be talking about a big city. Um, what's interesting about this song, really, I think this is the only song by the Lawrence Arms I played guitar on. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, because the beginning, um, I was like, there's no way that we can just... I First of all, I don't want to like do it live and have it be like Chris plays and I just stand there and sing. It would just be so weird. And we, we get off time because it's such a jangly part. Mm-hmm. And so then they wanted me to play it to a click. And I was like, I just want to sing it and play it at the same time. And so... That's like one take of vocals and guitar in the beginning, which is and with awesome. no cl- with no click, just like. So did Neil play after? No, I think those guys were in there. You know, they just had to sit there for the for the like the whole beginning part. Uh huh. Um, and then they they came in and did the jank 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 jank, and yeah. then sat there forever. But uh. But yeah, that's that, and we didn't really record like that by then. But mm-hmm. um, 
but that was, yeah, that was a the necessity being the mother of invention and all that. I think it actually ended up having a lot more like sort of subtle nuance in the bass and like little drum like tinkling uh, action. Yeah, I, I love the way you just went for it on this song. Like you really you you don't have a song except for like those like bonus tracks. So this feels like a a proper stab at at doing something that's completely different. Yeah, this was like the first of those kinds of songs which would go on like when I like Wandering Bird stuff definitely falls very heavily into this kind of category and then like something like on Metropole like a YMCA kind of mm. song there's like I mean, it was all a part of me growing more confident singing in like the sort of low register as well. And this song, I just felt like it couldn't exist if it didn't have just like the most like drawling, somber tone, you know, like Mm -hmm. it, it, I, I couldn't sing it. Like I couldn't like sort of like whisper to it like the way I did with like, uh, um, Rambler Boys of Pleasure, you know, the beginning of that is, but it's, it's a different kind of vibe. Like that, that one is as much as it's, as much as it's dark, it's like kind of like winking, you know, Mm -hmm. this one's not really winking. This one's like, like despondent and angry a little bit more. Yeah. Did you have to put yourself into that place to write it or was it? um... No, I mean, I was, I was fucking felt trapped as shit in my life and I was just like, I want to get the like I mean, that was that was that's genuine sentiment in this song you know like the 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 idea of like I mean the most recurring metaphor I think in my life is <clears throat> a, a take on like they shot at my boots and they told me to dance you know mm-hmm. like that's that's what life is right like that's whether you're working a job whether you've got like expectations put upon you by um, peers or uh, you know fans or some sort of um, patron or some sort of like personal relationship or any anything like that yeah, yeah. you know it's like there's going to be a point where and I'm not saying like oh woe is me I'm saying you know I do it to other people too right like it's it's just like a certain point where you're like these are my expectations go you know mm-hmm. and and then and it's like what can you do you can either like fucking subvert their expectations in a way that will make them fucking hate your guts or be disappointed in you or you can just be like okay I'll I'll do what you say you know and neither one feels very good yeah for sure for sure but I mean that's being alive I'm like what am I bitching about interpersonal uh, communication and like the sort of downside of friendship or (laughs) you know love or a business relationship where somebody pays you it's like of course those things are going to happen, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like the acknowledge of the acknowledgement of it is uh, an important thing to recognize. And I'm not saying that like this is the best way it's ever been said or anything like that, or that I came up with some like profound fucking nugget of information here. I'm just saying that this is the way I phrase that. Yeah, totally. Much more universal truth. Hmm. I remember seeing you play this when you opened for Tommy Stinson at the G-Man and you playing for 95% of that audience 
were <laughs> you were definitely embodying that character of just like hey, these fucking people. They don't know who the fuck I am. There, well, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of moms, a lot of horny moms. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean, especially this horny mom. That's right. That's right. But yeah, that was that was really fun. Um, I mean, people were just like, oh god, yeah, that was that was terrible. That was like. People were yelling at me like, "Give me a free shirt," <laughs> shit like that. I'll wear it. I'm like I don't care. I, you know, I don't care. I don't care if you wear it. I, stop uh. asking me for things. <laughs> you know. Uh, we got references to half baked with "fuck you, you're cool, fuck you too." Uh, yes. That was a movie that was like on Comedy Central at 5 o'clock every day for, like, five years. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was also... I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not a weed smoker, and I don't have, like, any sort of, like, personal connection to Half-Baked, you know? Mm-hmm. But I... <laughs> it's a funny movie, man. Like, Dave Chappelle's just funny. He's so funny in that movie. Harlan and Williams, too, man. That guy had a, that guy had a run. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, and then we got the cowbell in there too. Yes, of course. Yeah. And I mean, like, I feel like the, the idea is just like the, the, the fuck you, your cool fuck you too is like a direct reference to shooting at my boots and telling me to dance. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and getting out and hating this place right and then i got a fever for the cowbell boys is like on one hand like the idea of it being like just like a kind of wacky fever dream where you're like just like you know fuck it let's get out of here man i got a fever for the fucking cowbell let's 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 go you know yeah 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 and and like um and on the other hand sort of like an embodiment of like the stupidity of any sort of um dumb motherfucker telling you what to do you know because that's what that skit is about it's just mm-hmm. like i need more cowbell i need more you know and i mean like i know like i i feel like it's like a shitty cliche to even talk about the cowbell skit now because it's just like if i hear somebody say more cowbell at this point i'm like oh you're a dork i don't i don't need to talk to you never mind or, you sure. know but uh yeah but but like you know that that definitely factors into the the reason that that's like put in there is like the idea of like some fucking asshole telling you what to do and especially in that particular skit like nobody really ever needs to fucking dissect this like this but he's doing it and he's like no i need it more and it's like no but i'm doing it Mm -hmm. you know it is just the epitome of like the bullshit grind of life is like somebody yelling at you to do something that you're already fucking doing yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Totally. I don't I, know, man. I love the way that it works because it's like, yeah, cowbell makes sense in that in that environment that you've created, but it's also I I like the idea that it's um, you know, it's maybe a shot back at like the asshole in the audience who thinks he's saying the funniest thing ever, mm-hmm. and exactly. uh, and he usually says Freebird, but he he's a big Will Ferrell fan, so. Now he's yeah. got the cowbell. Yeah, he's the same more cowbell. 
People have yelled at it at us before. Yeah. Yeah. Because they like the song so much. Uh, no, <laughs> no, because they're fucking uninteresting dorks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, no, I don't know. Far be it for me to complain about anybody celebrating anything at one of our shows, but more cowbell? Come on, say something. I, 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 I've cursed myself now. <laughs> we hear nothing but more cowbell the next time we go on tour. Yeah, that's... that's never going to happen because everyone's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you got that record coming out. Um, hey, well, this is like it's a super fun release. Um, you know, where does it where does it kind of line up in the in the catalog for you? Is it it seems to just have a, a really nice like attachment to just uh, memories and and good times. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really strong. Um, it, it has the benefit of having five songs on it, so it can like kind of punch above its weight class a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, if this, if this had to be fleshed out into a 10 song record or 12 song record, I, I don't know how much more gas there was in the tank for these kinds of songs. But this, I feel like this record was really triumphant for us in terms of like being able to come off of Calcutta and, and also uh, to, to put on that show and like, you know, just the whole way that it all came together was great. You know, like we, at the show, we gave away the seven inch, right? Mm-hmm. On, um, colored vinyl for the first, like hundred, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the first 20 got an even more rare color of vinyl. So, I mean, the whole objective was to get people to fucking sleep on the streets and fucking in October or whatever but uh, <laughs> but but um so you know that I mean there was just like a lot of like wacky bombast going on with this release and it was just really fun it was just like a chance to do do the band and like sort of like really alleviate a lot of like the pressure that we'd built maybe for ourselves yeah, yeah, totally. And I think like uh small releases like this are uh they're a good place to put something like the last track. It's it's like the the stakes aren't quite the same, so let's try something different. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you know, if it works out then you have a whole you'll have a whole solo record of songs like that that people maybe sort of care about sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that concludes butt sweat and tears and now we got some questions that people emailed into us at brennan kelly podcast at gmail.com um you always kind of put yourself out on a limb when you say like yeah yeah email us we'll take care of uh listener questions and then you hope you get enough we did it was nice that's good thanks guys and gals everybody all y'all? It's mostly guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yep. the elusive uh, men who listen to podcasts uh, <laughs> demographic. We caught him. Uh, Erling has a question coming in all the way from Norway. He's got two of them, in fact. Uh, Regarding the greatest story ever told, I was wondering about that little riff that shows up in most songs in the guitar 
or the bass uh when writing this record you know when did it first show up at what point did you decide to include it in the other songs so glad that uh erling hit us with this one because you and i were both kind of like oh shit after that first one yeah um you know it's something that like we i can't remember where it started um but it's definitely it's definitely a riff that started on the on the bass um i believe because i mean just like the way it's the way it's uh um figured you know it's a, it's a bass it's a bass riff so i think maybe the first place is um it, it was in fireflies or and then we put it at the beginning of um, disaster march, and then all of a sudden we just started adding it, and just realizing that we could we could place it in all these songs, you know. And it's a lot of times it's just like in a very messy form on the guitar, or um, you know. I'm, but the thing is, it's based off of raw and searing flesh, like that sort of like even though it's l- sort of not as obvious in that song, and um, we when we play live, we start. We start it with that riff, and then we play that. We always play Raw and Searing Flesh and Disaster March as like a kind of a not a medley because we play the whole song, but there's there's no there's no break between them, and we always I always start with that bass line, and then when the Raw and Searing Flesh is over, I play the bass line again, and then kicks into Disaster March. But yeah, I want to say that's how it started but yeah if you listen it's in there i mean it's it's really in there a lot um and uh it was just one of the things that we did that we thought was cool to tie it together it definitely was um not a part of the construction of the songs but more of not really an afterthought as much as as much as probably I just didn't have that many ideas. And so once I put it into a couple of songs, it was like, okay, you know, it would be a good idea. <laughs> Let's just like make it, you, you know, like you, you fucking, you kick yourself in the dick once. It looks like an accident. You kick yourself in the dick 10 times. It, you, you, you're doing it on purpose. You're doing a bit, you know? So, so I think that that's maybe a little bit like that, but that being said, I feel like that riff is so indicative of that record and it like sums up the vibe of it so well. And, um, God, I wish I think, I think that there's like a big, very obvious place where I'm missing where that riff came from, like where that riff is on that record. I mean, I, you know, I know it's everywhere, but whatever. Um, did fucking, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another one from Erling. I love both a guided tour and ghost stories, but I was wondering what prompted you to go back and record with Giampa a second time? <laughs> well, um, you know, honestly, what had happened was, um, when we did the last Broadway stuff was with Matt Allison and he just displayed at the time he was I mean he was a younger dude and you know he I don't think he really 
he didn't really see the value in recording punk rock bands as much back then. I don't think. I think he was like, he was more of an indie rock guy. Like he he had done some like pretty like high profile sound gigs and and rec- like uh, live sound gigs and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think he tolerated us, but um, I he he definitely wasn't like <laughs> he definitely wasn't like. <laughs> 25 years from now, I'm going to be known as a great punk rock producer from Chicago, uh-huh. you know? Like, that's definitely not um, uh, what he was thinking at the time. So he would show up um, extraordinarily late. And by extraordinarily late, I mean, like, four hours late, you know? One time I was... uh I was sitting there and I ended up making friends with the fucking old lady and the old man across the street. They invited me into their house to have lemonade <laughs> because I was uh, fucking sitting out there for so long. They were just like, you know, you should really come over here. It's so hot. You know, I'm like, he'll be here any minute. I mean, it was just like like straight like abused dad syndrome or, or abusive dad syndrome abused dad that's, that's a different thing that's a point uh but uh, freudian slip is why is why it hurting you yeah, why it beat but, you uh, up no 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 man he's cool he's a good boy um but but uh so fucking this uh so we didn't want to go back to matt we were like fuck this man this guy like he fucking he dicks us around and you know, it's just not cool. Like, he's is he a great engineer? Yes. Are, do we like the results? Absolutely. Is he somewhat affordable? Uh huh. But it's like we just couldn't handle the the fact that it's just like, you know, like I said, like even like when we were recording Apathy, he would just like sort of like drift off and be watching the Cubs game all of a sudden. You know, so it's like uh-huh. he he's he's definitely like his own. Um, He's like his own creative force, you know, and like all the good and the bad things that come with that. And he's, I mean, when we did the most recent record that we just did, um, that's not out yet or even announced or anything like that. But when we did that, he was in there like 15, 16 hours a day, almost no breaks, like busting his ass, doing like the absolute best work that he could possibly do. So I, I got, I can't stress enough that this was a long fucking time ago that he was like this, you know, but I mean, he's, he's like an integral part of our team and I love him. But at the time we didn't want to go back to him. And when we did the first record, um, and we will talk about guided tour, but the fact is we just ran out of time. So it didn't get mixed. Um, you know, and, and so, we didn't have this notion that like Giampa didn't do a great job. We had this idea that we ran out of time and this is the record that we had to deal with. So when it came to do ghost stories and it was only a few months later and Giampa's a really fun was a really fun and, uh, you know, exciting dude to hang out with. Um, it, it wasn't really a question. It's like, yeah, man, you know, he's fun. He's cool. Maybe this time we'll have enough time to mix the record and it'll be great. You know, so that's why we went back to Giampa. And then immediately following when Ghost Stories came out, Matt Allison was like, dude, I got to talk to you. And, uh, <laughs> like, 
we can talk about that when we get to the cocktails and dream stuff or whatever. But like, you know, essentially he just made a quick pitch. He was like, I understand. I'm not like that anymore. I'm, you know, I think he's, he's kind of like, he saw uh, where that goddamn it record went. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite likely. But, um, you know, he, well, he, he came in, he made a pitch. He said he was going to like turn it around and, you know, he did for fuck's sakes. And um, thank God, because he is the best. I love him. We all love him. Um, so I was going to ask, uh, when we talked about butt sweat, when you refer to the coolest version of Atlas, was that where you recorded butt sweat? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, the last one. Neil actually helped build it. Like, oh, wow. He helped like erect the walls and like put down the floors and everything and um that was like a real labor of love for those guys and it was it was amazing it was for a time really just one of the nicest studios it kind of fell into disrepair by the end but um that was just because matt wasn't really going there anymore he was kind of subbing the space out to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and you know just like the wear and tear of it being there for for a long time but like when we recorded no Calcutta and Butt, Sweat, and Tears. I mean, that studio was fucking amazing. It's where the Menzingers recorded uh, fucking... Chamberlain Waits. On the Impossible Past. Oh, really? Yeah. I th- uh, forgot that he did that one, too. Damn. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, Tyler has a question that I like a lot. He writes... Um, I assume Chris wrote slowest drink, but the line quiet apartment ears are ringing loud resonates with me as someone who in my thirties has to deal with constant tinnitus from years ago in a punk shows. It makes me wonder just how literal is that line? And you know, if you have experience yourself with uh, getting your ears fucked up by going to shows all the time. Um, Chris, Chris has definitely um, expressed that he has tinnitus and uh, has taken a lot of steps to, um, you know, combat it and minimize it. But he's definitely very uh, upfront about the fact that he's had some, like, hearing loss and hearing damage. And he is extraordinarily, um, as is Neil, they're both extraordinarily... Um, careful about like where they are they always have their like noise canceling or like no you know frequency reducing um earplugs in um especially if anything's going to get loud at all Mm -hmm. um and uh and they they're just they're both very um very aware of protecting their ears um and i know that at least chris has definitely suffers from tinnitus and uh, hearing loss and I do not do any of that stuff and uh, um, I have um, an extraordinarily um, I would say probably Italian uh, <laughs> uh, um, genetic predisposition for like incredibly waxy ears and um, I do not suffer from um, tinnitus but I also don't wear earplugs and uh you know, I'm sure that 
I'm sure it's going to bite me in the ass one day and I'll just fucking wake up and I'll just be completely fucking deaf. But right now, you know, I still feel like I can hear well. I mean, my wife says I'm deaf, but that's just because she mumbles. Um, uh, all right, all right. You, you save that for the other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, ear earplugs are cool. They don't make you a dildo. Also, Tyler says, uh, loving the podcast so far. Can't wait to see you guys in Detroit. P.S. Follow Tim at Better Yet Pod on Twitter. Uh, a few people had this question. Um, I'm not sure why I didn't ask. I'll take the blame on that one. But Disaster March, there's a sound clip. Uh a sample that that comes in. Do you know what that's from? Huh. Disaster March. Where is it? It's in between the two I'm written on the subway walls sections. Um, I'm, I mean, I guarantee that it's one of us talking. Um, I, I'd have to listen to it Mm -hmm. to be able to tell you what it is, but, um, I, I don't think that we actually used any, like outside sample material for that record. I think we, well, I mean, with, with the exception of like some of those like bizarre sounds, like the giggling kids and like the, the whale kind mm-hmm. of sound, um, which we found on that old CD. I would have to listen to it again to, to know specifically what it is. I mean, if you want to pause for a second, I can pull it up and I can tell you right now, but um, I'm sure it's something that, Let's just let's uh, let's let's come yeah. back to it next week. Um, when you say that, it immediately clicked. Uh, Chris reading and Asa Phelps is dead, so maybe it's Chris reading something. Uh, but we'll follow up on that one for next week. We got another one coming from someone. He claims his name is Thor Jorgensen, but that it has to be a made-up name. Uh, Brennan and Tim. My line of questioning is in regards to... This is my buddy, Thor. I, I love the way he started this. So. My line of questioning is in regard to the apathy and exhaustion era and an extremely bizarre cable TV field piece starring ah, Ed Helms. Yes. Brendan, how did you ever end up being interviewed on The Daily Show? And what was that experience like? Did you experience any blowback for uh, publicly shitting on Michael Graves? Uh, did you think that the piece would make you... I'm not reading that part, Thor. That's not nice. Uh, do you still have the St. Catherine's shirt um, that you wore? I'll answer the last part first. I do still have that St. Catherine's shirt. Um, it is in my drawer as we speak. Um, I uh, Does it still fit? Um, Sorry. it's it's It depends on the day, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely it's not like my go-to, one of my go-to shirts, but if you like... You gave me two weeks. I could I could fit in that shirt no problem. Um, the uh, um, the way I ended up on there was that we were doing the well. Mike Fat Mike was doing the um, punk voter thing, and he had everybody write essays for you know like that wanted to be a part of it. Write essays about why George W. Bush uh, should be voted out of office right and um my essay happened to just like get a lot of traction on there and Mm. um uh michael graves became the celebrity spokesperson for lack of a better term for conservativepunk.com 
And um, when he um, decided to like write, I mean, because they were just sort of parroting what Punk Voter was doing, but from a conservative perspective. So he was going to write an essay and his essay was all about how my essay was very dangerous and that I was the problem with America and democracy. And so I, I just kind of am putting, connecting the dots here, but it seems to me that the, the Daily Show heard that there was a conservative punk movement starring a guy that paints his face like a skull, um, <laughs> you know, and like went to do a little bit of research and they were like, oh, and then there's this guy over here who he thinks is super dangerous. Let's, you know, let's get both of them. To, um, and so, yeah, so that's how that went down. Um, it was really fun. Dangerous. Wow. I mean, like, you know, it, it's just like the rhetoric of the essay. It's not like, I don't yeah, think he thought yeah. that I was really like kicking babies down the road or anything. But like. It's just such a weird, like, accusation to make about somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I said he paints his face like a skull and it turns out that's true. <laughs> so so how how was that how was uh how was that interview how was ed helms ed helms and i are about the same age and we're both like midwestern dudes and we got along like immediately so so well um and the interview was like two and a half hours for that like 15 seconds of footage Whoa. And there was times that we had to stop it because the camera guy was like shaking from laughing so hard because like it was just so funny. We were just like going back and forth, you know, um, uh-huh. and um, I can't remember what the joke was, but I made some comment about uh, like, you know, like I'm not I'm not I'm not going to be on your side just because like you're wearing the right T-shirt or something like that, you know, and. I think it was mm-hmm. about like like how can like how could punks like be against each other, and then he's like, "I love the St. Catharines, by the way." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was just like this like constant like riff fest. You know, it was like and it was really really funny, and mm-hmm. at the end of it, um, I was like, "Hey man, you know I, I'm no stranger to the show. I know what you guys do, but do you think?" maybe you could like not make me look like a total asshole in this thing. Cause I feel like the message is really kind of important. And he's like, nah, I think you're the voice of reason in this one. And I was like, all right, awesome. High five. Uh-huh. And then the high five is what Oops. they captured in slow yep. motion. And that's exactly what he <laughs> motherfucked me with. And I was just like, you goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it, which is funny. And the, follow-up to this story is about maybe four years ago i get a text from my brother who lives in st louis and it says i'm standing next to ed helms at a bar he's a big fan of yours not a big fan of mine (laughs) (laughs) so and i don't think you know and to be clear, he wasn't talking about like Ed Helms being like a Lawrence Arms fan. He was just saying like that he talked to him and he's like, "Oh yeah, I remember your brother." Because like I got the story later, and by the end of it, he was uh-huh. like, "I don't believe you guys are actually brothers." <laughs> <laughs> but if you're out there listening, Ed Helms, that was my brother, that gigantic uh, bald guy with the blue eyes. Yeah, it's funny because uh, 
the next question we have here is from Ed. And uh, no, that's not true. Um, but yeah, that clip, man, Viacom, you can't find fucking anything. That clip is so hard to to dig up on the internet. It's basically been erased from history. That's yeah, fucked up. I mean, yeah, you know, the same thing happened to all the stuff that uh, Toby and I did on JBTV. It's gone. And it kind of stinks because there's some really funny stuff on there. Yeah, seriously. It's some uh, like monumentally important uh, moments in the story of Laura Jane Grace. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I, I feel bad about that one. I, I don't. Oh, you know, I, I didn't. I, it was not. I was not intentionally trying to out anyone. That was not what mm. I thought was happening. But uh, again, I stand by the fact that. It was right there in the lyrics, and yeah. I, 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 if I'm the only one who would listen to him, then I'm the only one who listened to him. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see feeling bad, but I, obviously, you're good. Yeah, well, um, I like Laura a lot. Michael is wondering when Chris started dropping the tip of the hat to Hot Water Music's turnstiles, inserting. I must always remember there's no point to surrender into his own song turnstiles. Do you remember like when that, when that happened? Um, yeah, we did the caution tour with hot water music and it was, um, a really good tour for us. It like, they were just so kind and their crew is so good and they were so good and then they were so good to us and we had, it was just really, really lovely. And that album is so great. And I think that we were just, you know, like sort of like um, as a younger band. I mean, we're not that much younger than them, but like, you know, like they were just such a much more established band. We kind of were like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we thought they were really cool. And uh, it was funny. It's like their song's called Turnstiles, our song's called Turnstiles. And, um, I don't remember if we started doing that or if Chris started doing that rather on that tour or immediately after. I think it was more of like a thing like, oh man, we missed those guys. This is a good little, yeah. like, you know, little ding to, you know, remind us of how, how much fun that was. But yeah, that that's, it was right around there, but I think it was like right after that tour. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, Jared is interested in a shirt that he's seen both you and Chris in. It's got an eagle on it, and it says, get fucked underneath. He wants to know where he can get one. Uh, those shirts are no longer available. That's Paul Tylenda and Sean Nader's uh, old band. Um, they um, were called No Means Yes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, A plus. <laughs> um, and um, they only made just a couple of those. Um, for, funny story well no, never mind i don't even want to get into it but uh they um they were very very heavy like grindcore kind of band and uh paul and sean were were our road crew for a long time merch and tour manager respectively sorry i can't stop that without fucking um they road road crew and merch uh-huh guy yeah. respectively and uh so they 
you know, when they made the shirts, they gave them to us, and the shirts are so fucking badass that, of course, you know, wear them. I'm going to wear mine today in honor of that. Hell yeah. Uh, we got one from German. Uh, he's got a question for you. He, he was hoping for the full story or the background of the song, I'll Take What's in the Box, Monty. Um, we talked about the title, but he's interested in a little bit uh, more in like where it came from, uh, where it comes from. It's a pretty sad song. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's just a, a song that's like more of a, you know, it's sort of like disguised as a bit of a love song, maybe, but it's really just about the um, just reflecting on your own shortcomings as a human being as you relate to other human beings, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, probably a really like simple way to sum it up would be a very romanticized case of recognizing your own imposter syndrome. Uh, but, um, you know, I, that's about as specific as it really gets. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, there's obviously like a lot of like autumnal references in there and stuff like that, but that was just the time, um, mm when we were like putting the whole thing together. Um, yeah. That, there's no like, it's not like it's about an afternoon or something like that, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's just, it's just about, it's just about disappointing people in general. Yeah. So <laughs> this is as relevant now as it's ever been. Uh, I always really like the uh I'm not fine, I'm not the one crying. I just that's that's a fucking perfect line, especially the way you sing it. <laughs> yeah, that I think uh I think that's that like really sums it up, right? That's like such an asshole thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> like does it really get any shittier than that? Like, hey, I'm the fucked up one here. Why are you crying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, the fucking 80s and 90s rom-coms, like, really fucking set us back a few centuries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, uh, Noah has a question about Greatest Story Ever Told. There are seemingly tons of quitting smoking vibes to this record. Is that shit all in my head? Uh, I mean, Fireflies is definitely. Uh, yeah, well, no, no, I mean, like we all quit smoking way before that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like just I think I think that there's like a lot of uh, you know smoking references or whatever. But like uh, you know, no, that that's not that wasn't the yeah that's all in your head, man. Uh, that wasn't the that wasn't the vibe that we were at at that point. Do you still ever want to smoke cigarettes? No, I mean, uh, when drinking, yeah. sometimes, you know, it's like, they're good. Once a year, man, all I want to do for a week, <laughs> smoke cigarettes. <laughs> all I want to do. Uh, Jim has a question about ghost stories. Also a little bit about guided tour. Uh, I love the screen printing covers of Ghost Stories and Guided Tour that Asian Man did in the re-release for the vinyl. Um, I also love the original artwork. How did we come to get the limited covers? 
That's something you'd have to ask Mike Park. I don't really know. I didn't really have very much to do with um, any of that beyond the like approval of it. Um, the screened releases, I believe, were just done in haste to get them out. Um, want, you know, like once there was, a, I could be wrong about that though. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. Um, it's just not something that I was really a part of in terms of that, that kind of granularity. Peter's got a question. He, he's got a set list in from November or let me do that one again. Peter's got another one for us. Uh, he's got a set list from a show in Denver in 2001 and 2002 numbered 561. Is that how many Lawrence Arms shows have been played at that point? What's the 561 yeah, number? Yeah, that, that, that we, we numbered all our shows up to 1,000, then we stopped counting. Wow. We, we put them on pretty much all the set lists. Um, and it, it was pretty accurate. We did... Um, I think every once in a while we'd like take a break and we might have come back and like done like two two seventy fives or like you know mm-hmm. skipped from seven hundred and twenty one to seven hundred twenty three you know something like that but we kept it pretty tight and then we were like within ten for the ten uh, year anniversary show so we just called it a thousand because we were like <laughs> you know it's it's right there. Yeah, you know, based on like the margin of error, and we're like, this will be the ten year anniversary show. It'll be the one thousandth show, and we will never keep track again. So. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you just did it. I talked to Jeremy from Touche More, and he, like, to the note, had it ten years, a thousand shows, and it's like <laughs> fucking commitment, man. He like <laughs> tracked down to make sure if there were gigs that he missed, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, we're, we're running a little bit of a more fast and loose operation over here. <laughs> Are there songs from Greatest Story, Apathy Era that you miss playing live? This is another part of Peter's question. No, I mean, like, we, if we miss playing anything live, we would just play it live. That's uh, sort of the beauty of um, being in the Lawrence Arms is we can do kind of whatever we want. It's just a matter of like, do we want to play a show that people enjoy? <laughs> you know, and that's uh, that's pretty much, uh, you know, it's the the way that we pick the sets. It's it's a real like two pronged system. It's do we want to play the song? Do people want to hear it? If the answer is yes to both, we'll probably play the song. You know. Well, that's great. It's good to hear that you're going to be playing Abracadabra again, said for the first time on this show last week. Brendan, Tim from Chicago has a question for you. That's me. Me. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. What are we going to talk about next week on Road to the Skeleton Coast, our podcast? Um, I think that we should do... um, let's, Let's make it cool and do unicornography. Hell yes. I'm yeah. so excited to talk about that record. And I know that there are plenty out there who are going to be excited as well. We will be back with that for you next week. And invite you all to subscribe. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Only five stars. And uh, 
Yeah, we will <laughs> be back with another edition of Road to the Skeleton Coast next week. We'll see you then. Thanks, Bubba. Bye, guys.